Are you feeling exceptionally American? Let's talk American exceptionalism. It's Library Funk. Justin, I am not the throat goat, and my pronouns are he, him. I'm Sadie, and I have no idea how to follow up to that. My pronouns are she and they. I'm Jay, I think. <laughs> my pronouns are he, him. I'm Carrie, my pronouns are she, her. Jay was uh, glizzling some mini corn dogs, so I was trying to get like a glizzy glizzler uh, throat goat thing going, but I, that was all I got. I don't know what throat goat means. I do. I'm not sure I want to. It's a real um, Watergate. Since we're talking about presidents, it's a real Watergate theme. Oh, is it like deep throat? Like Nailed it. Yeah. When you're at the head of the brain trust. Oh. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Glacio champion, as they say. <clears throat> so, little uh, presidential factoid. I am a geek about presidential history and presidential libraries in particular um, for some reasons you'll find out soon in this episode because we're trying to talk about presidential libraries. But first, discourse. I always love the discourse. Just picture of Ben Affleck smoking. <laughs> Uh, I I should have put on my horse mask. That's how I feel about this particular discourse. Discoursing. Take a selfie with it on, and then we can use that as a cover for as the just horse picture around. for the pod. holding up like a CD. So your discourse. Oh, I've got a okay. Yeah, I can definitely make that happen. Yeah, <laughs> I can do that right now. I'm waiting for some racehorse to be named discourse. That's like, too like, get like on. stupid. Like stupid racehorse That's names. Too short. Well, it would be fun to see what came out of that, though. Like you know how they they combine names of the the parents together, and it just gets weirder and weirder. I think sometimes, yeah. Like like Mason Dixon. That was like a thing in Spanish. Paperclip, you know, Tuesday oh, night God, something. Yeah. So breaking discourse. We're talking about weeding. So, library Twitter has just been really annoying for the last two, three days, talking about just just yelling at idiots about weeding. Uh, and every single type of guy like showed up, which was also kind of fun. Uh, I can't wait for the story to break through to like the, the non-library world 
and like one of my Which other it has podcasts. Multiple times. Yeah, this yeah. is such a repeat. It was yeah, it was it was a real book Twitter repeat. And like even Internet Archive showed up. Mm-hmm. We heard we got to see all the classics. This exact thing happened to a library in Urbana, like before I was in grad school, like either right before or a few years before or something. Or it was like a dumpster full of books. The same thing happened where I work now a few years ago, apparently. Dumpster full of books. And like the students found out and wrote about it in the paper and everything. Like this happens like a cycle all the time. It's almost as if people don't actually know what librarians do for a, for a living. And us being annoying about it on Twitter isn't helping. Yeah. <laughs> no, not really. Yeah. So I just like quit caring. I don't know, like. Books yeah. are for dumpsters. The only thing I said about it, because there's only so many times we can go, that's just a regular part of being a library. Because that just gives people an excuse not to fund libraries. <laughs> it's like they already don't like the fact we're doing this. Us going, well, this is just a regular part of collection, man. It's not helping. I just pointed out that like the equivalency to book burning. I'm like, y'all realize what the Nazis were burning. Right. <laughs> Which I know that also doesn't help. But I feel like people just going, well, this is what librarians do was like missing the point yeah equating it with censorship is um a false equivalent yeah it's like do y'all know know what the nazis were burning and why (laughs) like you know and then i you know said fahrenheit 451 is not a very good book so (laughs) surprised people didn't get mad at me for that yeah but he's from waukegan yeah yeah ray bradbury's from waukegan that's fun which is just north of Chicago. The thing I didn't understand about the Internet Archive's tweet, because I, you know, I will defend Internet Archive for a lot of things, but in this, like, for more porn, recent... number one. Yeah. <laughs> but that, like, because um, they do a, you know, very important service, and I don't want them to get sued out of existence by publishers. And one of the things they've been doing lately is being like, no, we are a library, and they are. Because you had all the authors being like, well, real libraries... And so this tweet that was like, you know, well, we take the books, libraries send them to us. It felt like they were distancing themselves from libraries a little bit. Instead of just having a different collection management policy and process, which is fine, you know, that is their job to just like digitize and archive and preserve because they're doing it like digitally and, you know, they have a different mission and stuff. That's fine. It was just an annoying tweet. <laughs> I'm just like, but you don't need five copies to digitize. Yeah, exactly. Like, then what are they going to do? Just throw them out? You can look at the picture and see, like, it's all duplicates. Yeah, and apparently it was, like, all old, like, paperbacks and stuff. Yeah. Well, someone someone really summed it up as, like, amazing how uh, after all this time, Internet Archive guy still doesn't know what a library or archive do. <laughs> <laughs> Big yikes. Not my words. But I endorse them. At Hungry Ghost. Good good take. That's a good username, too. Yeah. That's a, a thing in Buddhism, Hungry Ghosts. Fun fact. I thought that was just a thing in Mario. Well, the Hungry Ghost concept um, is a thing in all Buddhism. But in Japanese Buddhism, oh. okay. both Zen and otherwise, it gets kind of put into like the more like yokai folklore as well so it's like more in like spooky ghost stories and stuff than in like other buddhist 
culture. So it's almost separate from, I mean, it's still a Buddhist concept, but it's used outside of that context in Japan a lot. And so Mario being made in Japan, that makes sense. Adds up. Yep. This is what I expect from this podcast. Thank you. The voice of Matthew. Catchphrase. We gave him one against his will. Matthew will live on forever. Mm-hmm. I can almost hear his voice. Jobless. Yeah. So the books were all weeded and, you know, they were. Were they wed? Yeah, they were, they were be- bewedded. <laughs> and turns out like they had like they have like an annual book drive where they get rid of shit that they weed. But no one cares. So anyway, my university just resubscribed to Better World Books because we weren't doing any weeding for a while. So now we are with Better World Books. And I want I actually wanted to look up how much we have to pay them because it's not cheap. Uh, if you're a big library, if you're a small library, it's kind of affordable. Yeah, it's it's actually pretty worth it if you're a small library. You can you can turn some cash on that, especially if you do a massive weed. You can make some cash on Better World Books. I didn't know they paid it back to the libraries. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. And then they work with Internet Archive a lot, right? Probably. Better World Books. I mean, it would be it would make sense because like if people request books from Better World Books, it's less stuff that they have to recycle, and that costs money. So true. If someone's just like send it to us. Yeah, I think they even do like Google Book stuff because a lot of the scans that I see in Internet Archive also have the, the Google Books thing. Mm-hmm. So there's got to be some sort the of watermark. Yeah, there's got to be some sort of consortial. This gets scanned and give given to these people kind of agreement going on. Well, if they're scanned by Google, they're destroyed because they cut the spines off and they go in the dumpster. I don't see people yelling at Google about that. <laughs> I was just about to say. You, you make it sound like an abortion. Cut their spines <laughs> Which out. Which is also a good thing. You sound like a pro-life person who's like, they make it, you cut their spines off and throw them in the dumpster. I loved that, like, the mix of outrage tweets when someone posted that they cut Infinite Jest in half to read it. And of course you got other people that were like, Infinite Jest sucks. And if you read it, you suck. And I'm like, okay, whatever. But the people outraged that someone cut a thousand page book in half to make it easier to read and carry around. <laughs> I'm like, it's like a, like you can't, I don't know anyone who's ever read, like read that in like hardcover before. It's meant to be like, bent and, oh Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the, the copy first time I... I read it was hardcover. Yeah? Oh, God, yeah, that was sucked. heavy as shit. <laughs> it sure was. I couldn't carry it in my normal book bag. Yeah. I had but to yeah. upgrade my book bag that summer. But yeah, like 1Q84, for instance, um, yeah. if you buy it all as one book, is like 900 pages. But they can yeah. also buy it as I have three that. volumes. You see, yeah. I did the three volumes one. I have the one volume. It It's clumsy, especially because it has a tissue paper cover. Oh, Yeah. Yes. I wonder if there's something to be said in like a Marxist, like, like the fetishizing of books, but like talking about that as like a commodity fetishism, maybe in a way, like from a Marxist lens of like, yeah, it's the book as object. Yeah, the inconvenience of like the object, like there's, I went through like a really, I guess, inconvenient book phase when I was like in my early 20s. And, like, I don't read books anymore, so that should tell you a lot. So I've, I've read all the inconveniently sized books, for better or worse, like 2666, etc. Nice. And I'm like, you know, like, I love them. They're great. They're worth it. Fuck yeah. But also, like, holy shit, like, 
I don't want to even be seen carrying something like that around. Like, because it's just an invitation to bullshit. Yeah. On some level, too. Like, oh, I don't want to talk to anybody about this. Or, like... Yeah. Or just, like, in general, like, the people who hold the print form of the book as sacred. And I know, like, commodity fetishism, the word fetish in that is not the way that it's used in, like, a sexual no. context. I know no, it's more like it's, it's a it's Yeah, it's a more symbol. like the consumption, the... It's more like the sensuousness of the item. And it's, like, separated yeah. from yeah. the value that, like, the labor that produced it, it stands in for yeah. something else. It's the aesthetic. It's the experience. Right. It's the... And it, to some extent, it's the capital wealth mm-hmm. luxury of an item in some in some extent to some extent philosophy tube has actually um a video that is not about commodity fetishism but talks about it and i really liked her like i hadn't really understood it until she explained it and it was really good but yeah because i i was thinking like you know i'm not a print purist book person by any means but i'm also a closet formalist and structuralist like don't tell all the other cool like queer academics that i'm really into structuralism (laughs) (laughs) yeah i know and so i love books where like i couldn't imagine them as ebooks or adapted in any way like infinite jest i think it's really convenient as an ebook actually because of all the footnotes but house of leaves like i i don't even understand how they made a screenplay of it because it was going to be adapted into a TV show um, or books where like the process of like holding it and reading it is as integral as, you know, medium in the message is that all bullshit, which I'm into right now. Well, I mean, there was ways in which, so there's a Faulkner book that was intended to be published. I love Faulkner. It, I think it was Sound of the Fury. Oh God, I was love Sound of the Fury. It was originally intended to be published in multiple colors yes um and there's even like a a digital humanities project that does that to help people yeah yeah so like pre-digital humanities i took an american novels course where we Mm -hmm. talked about where that was like part of the we talked about the or i took an yeah i took like some sort of course i don't know where like i have an english degree and we took a course where we were looking at the textuality of we were reading House of Leaves and we were talking oh, about yeah. uh, the experience of textual. And he talked about how they were, they were just now printing the sound and the fury as it was meant to be read essentially. And it's nice. just like, and things like William Blake was another yeah. example who, and like all of those, like a lot of the poets who were also printmakers and things like that. Um, I think Caslon was another. So a lot of those guys like were, working in their own anyway sorry i am hugely digressing from the main point which is presidential libraries <laughs> i could talk about the book and as art object and textual objects all day long but well yeah because i was just being like i understand the people mm. who have such a deep connection to the print book as a sacred thing like i, I... get don't yeah like i get why people are upset about seeing a dumpster full of books but also it's like you know really, it's, it's not a I big don't. deal <laughs> because like if you claim if you had an iota of the critical thinking skills that you claim to have you would realize there's a probably a fucking reason why there's right, a bunch exactly. of fucking books in a fucking dumpster 
like it's very much like an emotional personal yeah reaction that doesn't have things to do with materiality despite you know but you know that's not yeah but anyway presidential libraries okay. yeah that's a whole other episode guys i'm upset by regular dumpsters I'm just like oh plastic god Damn. You shouldn't have made that our little segment because we—that's just a whole episode. I <laughs> well, uh, yes, I do have Sam lined up to do an episode about it because hmm. he just nice. wrote that article where he talked about the turfs who are the the edge lords, the, the intellectual freedom edge lords, which is a new phrase I'm going to be using a lot. That's a really way, good way. What about edge ladies or edge lassies? Probably edge milady. They are edge biological females. Edge women, edge, but it's about womb in. <laughs> but yeah, he wrote a really good piece. I'll go ahead and link it in the show notes since it just came down. So, presidential libraries. I was looking at the wiki for presidential libraries because I wasn't sure when they started. Mm-hmm. And it's very interesting where they all kind of ended up because, like, the Quincy, uh, like, uh, the Adamses are both like at the Adams Historical Park. And then, like, William Henry Harrison is just, like, Berkeley Plantation. It's just, like, kind of wherever their their papers ended up for quite a lot of them. Or, like, their house. It's, like, Franklin Pierce's homestead, Miller Fillmore House, James Pugannon House. And there's a reason for that. What's the reason? In 1955, Harry Truman established the Presidential Libraries Act. And he established his own presidential library in Independence, Missouri, which is where I'm from. This is what I expect from this podcast. Wait, that was the wrong one. (laughs) (laughs) Accidental Matthew. The buttons are so tiny. Yeah. I want to get a physical soundboard so I can be like... Independence isn't where the Mormon thing happened, is it? Yes, it is. That that uh, is okay. It's also that's why it Zion. sounds familiar. Yeah, it's also Oregon Trail. There's a lot to unpack. You may recognize it from these other historical events. <laughs> Such and as me. So Harry Truman Presidential Library is also where I'm from. So I've been there a lot, and as a result, I have become quite fascinated with the existence of presidential libraries and some of the legislation around them. So they, uh, because of this, like Harry Truman, like set up his office at his library where he continued to work until his death in 1974. And his office is exactly how he left it when he died. And he is buried at his library. Been, I was going to be like, like, and he's still there. <laughs> yeah. And he's still there. Literally <laughs> like not too far from his office actually yeah it's one of those experiences where uh you can go and uh have a museum experience and then have a library experience and then they also have like educational programming and things like that we also used to do our national history day competitions there very exciting thing so there are certain traits of different presidential libraries one of them is if you've never done this the White House Decision Center is a very interesting experience, which is an educational experience designed for middle school and high school students, where you take out, you role play as members of a White House cabinet in a crisis situation. What kind of model you in shit is this? 
Yeah. yeah, that sounds exactly like what you want to put middle schoolers through. You yeah, know? so I was in, I was a junior and a senior in high school the both times I did it. The first time I think I was the Secretary of State for invading North Korea. <laughs> Good old colonialism. Yeah. So that was exciting. Really, you know, and they really like try to ed, they give you a lot of documents to consider and things like that. And like, you're supposed to figure it out in, in like, you know, three hours. Sounds about right. Yeah. And then you eat your sack lunch that you have to bring yourself. So and then you carry the trauma of invading Korea with you for life. Exactly. And then the next time I think like we got to do the Berlin airlift. So a little more feel good on that one. So both of them were Truman related. Yes, because it was the Harry Truman Presidential Library. Wait, is the decision center at the Truman Library? There's a decision center at every presidential library, I believe. So it's sort of like Groundhog Day. Or at least... Some formal model UN kid must have done that. <laughs> or at least, like, there's there are several of them because NP- This American Life did a program about one at, I think, either the Reagan or the Nixon Library. <laughs> The Nixon Library's got to be a trip. Reagan would fucking have one. Asshole. It's all about where the jelly beans are. There's there's hungry ghosts. Where are my jelly beans? Remember, kids, Reagan's grave is a gender-neutral bathroom. He showed up in that documentary I saw. I went to go see him Friday, and I, like, almost, like, growled in my seat because it made me so mad just to see him. (laughs) So, let's see. The conceit of presidential libraries, so I, I kind of wanted to go, but let's just do the history a little bit. So there's 15 official presidential libraries managed by the National Archives, and I think those yeah. start after they, Truman? No, so they start actually with Hoover, because Hoover was a lot. Hoover died in 1964, so his is in Iowa, and I bet that's fascinating because <laughs> the economy tanked when he was president. Black Monday. Also, great person to have a dam named after. Also, mm-hmm. a ville. A Hooverville. Yeah. So, Hoover's is in Iowa, and I've driven past it a few times, but not a lot. But they've digitized some really cool footage recently of Hoover's home movies because he was the per- first president to have a video camera. Cool. Fun fact. Um, so, again, I'm obsessed with this stuff. So Hoover's the first one, and then FDR, Truman, Eisenhower's is in Kansas. I haven't been to his, but also easily accessible to me if I wanted to go there. I did have someone ask me if I wanted to go there on a date one time, but things didn't uh, ever precipitate. Uh, And then, let's see here, Eisenhower, Kennedy's is managed by the NARA. Johnson's is a little weird. He is not buried at his museum. He's buried at his ranch. And actually, Kennedy's buried at Arlington, too. So they're not buried at their museum. Is that, like, standard? Is that, like, written into the legislature? Like, you should be buried (laughs) with your books? Like, some of them is, like, fairly common practice that, like, they want to be buried at their museum because it's, like, something Harry Truman started, or, like, some of them started doing. Yeah. Anyway. We should just make a a big pit presidential pit the presidential pit in there. let's <laughs> open up this pit the concavity open up the this tomb pit. 
Once again, I am asking you to open up this pit. <laughs> That's like that was like my favorite meme to come out of that that one. And also, I am once again asking you to live deliciously. <laughs> um, Johnson's is at Austin, Texas, with yeah. UT Austin. I was trying to figure out how many were yeah. at, so if like, Texas some had, of them l- had large like, amount. A library, and then some of them keep their papers separately. So, like, I think Johnson's papers are at UT Austin, but he has a separate library. Or like a separate museum somewhere. I scrolled this list and I think the closest one to me is in like California. It's probably Nixon. Yeah. So not something that was on my radar really. Reagan's in Simi Valley, California. Whichever one is more north. Yeah, I got a bunch really close to me. Midwest! Present. Uh, You would be close to Franklin Pierce, Jay. Am I? Let me look. Oh, yeah. And and John Adams, because Quincy, Massachusetts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, who's from Maine? Is there someone in Maine? Oh, yeah. So Franklin Pierce is here in New Hampshire. Yeah. yeah. The man without a chin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um. So musical. Teddy has some stuff at in um, Harvard. That's it. Mm-hmm. He's got stuff everywhere. Yeah. Calvin Coolidge has some stuff in Northampton, Massachusetts, and then some other stuff in Vermont. Right. JFK has some stuff in Boston. 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 Pocky cat. JFK announced recently that his daughter taught him to stop saying the F slur. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's why they shot him. <laughs> Oh, oh, wow. gun that was a joyous few days on Twitter. <laughs> Arthur's like staring at me. <laughs> My favorite one to come out of that was I'm going to do it. I'm going to blame Martin Scorsese for making Matt Damon City episode. <laughs> Even though he's only been in one oh, Scorsese movie, just one. He's just been the departed, which I haven't seen, so I don't know if he's dropping f bombs all over the place in that one. But it doesn't matter. Um, I don't know if that movie's in so. English. Yeah, I've seen that movie a lot. And yeah. I don't think so. I mean, he says, allegedly, go fuck yourself. Um, I saw one that was like, you're only allowed to say this if you're from the culture. And then it was like, South Boston Irish Catholic or something. Highly specific. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so what what is a presidential library? Is yeah. Like? Yeah, so a presidential library. So there's usually like a presidential library and a presidential museum. Sometimes they are co-managed, sometimes they are separately managed. A presidential library is typically a research center that houses presidential papers and artifacts. A presidential museum is like a public place for people to go learn about a presidency. It's the propaganda center at the 9-11 museum. Yeah. It's where you put pictures of troops. It's a gift shop. Yeah. Oh, do you think I can get like a dildo with the Lyndon B. Johnson one? You think it went made like? I would hope so. No, but you can get a puppet. How many puppets do you have, Carrie? Um, with me. <laughs> <laughs> In storage, On your like, remote right storage. Now. Yes, just bring one up. Uh, no, I mean I can make sock puppets really easily, and then sell them at the presidential library. Yeah, sure. I mean, like I don't have a lot of room for puppets in my life right now. Mm. It's very emotionally taxing. Count Chocula can come, or not Count Chocula, Jesus Christ. The Count can come hang out with me then. Yeah, I just like don't have emotional or physical room for puppetry in my life. Not anymore. Not since since the the incident. (laughs) 
<laughs> so some are run by the National Park Service, uh, state governments, colleges, universities. Yeah, I think I was looking. UT Austin has like one. Texas A&M has one. Southern Methodist has one. Which I don't even know if Southern Methodist is that big of a school. It's medium. It's probably rich. Yeah, they're well endowed. Well, it's it's the um, they're in Dallas. They're Dallas. I I never hear anything about them. So it's the George W. Bush. Mm-hmm. My brother designed a really good mock-up of that one when they were accepting designs for it, and it was a bunch of FEMA trailers. Yep. And it didn't get chosen? No. Well, damn. It's very, con- it's very conceptual. You know, he's going for like a Stephen Hall kind of thing. Tragic. That was an architecture joke. Yeah, so like, you know, some of them are like affiliated with college campuses and stuff like that. So like there are certain ways that they get managed, but like most of them, basically from Hoover on to basically through George W. Bush have been managed entirely by NARA. You know, there's been a little bit of like co-coordination, but for the most part, let me get to that. Yeah, like I was wondering like, you know, if some of them are affiliated at all in any way with universities, are there any that do anything with public libraries? I think very few. However... The new Obama Presidential Center will have a branch of the Chicago Public Library in it. Oh, that's fun. According to new plans. But it will not have anything to do with NARA. Right. So the the Barack Obama Presidential Library, which is digital only, is controlled by NARA, which is basically just like the stuff legally they have to keep, probably. Mm-hmm. And then his papers, did you put this in the notes or just mention it? Like his papers are. They're currently in Hoffman Estates, Illinois, which is basically a kind of busted Sears company town north of Chicago. And they're all still classified. Yeah. So I guess that means they haven't processed them and taken out the classified stuff. Correct. So, and they're working under a really tight deadline, too. What's the deadline? You know, I like the digitization deadline, right? I think they've got like some kind of deadline for digitizations, right? So this it was originally scheduled to open in 2021, but FOIA Act requests won't be accepted until next year. So it's not until five years after Obama's term is up. And some records will be off limit for seven more years under the law that governs presidential records. Which thinking of it, that's probably one of the few cases where archival records have the protection of law is for government organizations. Yeah. And they will have some. Okay. So it looks like they will have some artifacts in there. So like it's going to be paper and objects. So however, they don't know for sure. But it'll have to be like from presidential stuff. But I, I imagine it'll be really minimal stuff. What if instead of a branch of the uh, Chicago Public Library, it was a Chicago Police Department? They just put a station right in the presidential center. I mean, knowing Lori, is it Lori Lightfoot? Is it's that just her a name? Lori Lightfoot clone ar- army. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, like, Hoffman Estates is this kind of really weird suburb north of Chicago that's was like a Sears company town. Oh, like with all like the Sears catalog houses and stuff? No. 
Oh. Weirder. Basically, what's going on is that, like, it was supposed to be, like, their headquarters for Sears. And it was, like, supposed to be the Sears corporate headquarters where everyone would live who worked at Sears corporate. So it it wasn't going to be, like, factory workers. It was going to be, like, where the corporate workers worked. But obviously, like, Sears... Everything worked out great for Sears, you know. They finished the last house in 2019. Things were looking up. Yeah. So, like, and that happened, that deal happened in 1989. So, like, um, anyway. Yeah, things didn't work out so well. So, like, if you ever drive through Hoffman Estates, Illinois, it's really, it's kind of an odd spot to drive through. Because it's, like, really open on the side of the road and then like you see these like really kind of postmodern glass buildings on the side of the road and stuff it's it's pretty bonkers i i enjoy driving through it anyway so that's where his papers are right now however they're working on building his uh presidential center down in jackson park which is south of chicago down by university of chicago and it's driving up home prices right now so cool job gentrification I mean, that that's already Hyde Park, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so that's already. <laughs> right. I know. So it's like, oh, yeah, we're, we're going to do it in the Chicago South Side. And it's like, no, are, uh, are you sure, sure about that? Um, so it's like, it was already going to be in a, like, a nice part, but it's already just like, you know. And it's also compounded by a multi-million dollar Tiger Woods golf course being built at the same time. Yeah. And then Elon Musk says he was going to mine cryptocurrency there. And then uh, Amazon said they were going to build a warehouse there. And so it's just everyone. It's everyone's housing prices are going to get fucked up eventually by some fucking despot moving into their neighborhood. So, yeah, it says a posh, but what is it? Jackson Park Highlands, posh, but tiny 16 square block neighborhood of elegant regal homes. It's still a secret to most outside the South Side, which I, mean, I guess they asked. To, yeah. Who did they ask? Resident and businesswoman. So yeah, that's that's yeah, that's a real estate agent talking. I've been reading the book recently, Winners Take All, which is about how rich people use nonprofits to like insert themselves into social issues. Jane Mayer. Uh, who did write it? I'll put it in the show notes. Anand Giridharadas. So I'm about halfway through that book. Part of the book they're talking about how young people get seduced into going into like business because if you go into business and then businesses now are like socially conscious and if you want to get something done you need the capital to do it right and so they are all you know all of these like ghoulish companies that do consulting for like the world bank and shit like that like the unofficial arms of the american empire so this person who was working there this younger woman had was like having all of these was completely in the culture of it and was like, oh, I don't know if I actually believe all this stuff. Um, but she's also like a full lib. So that was kind of the point of this book is just like, this is a very liberal project of just thinking that like make more money and you can do more good in, in some way. And so then while she's working at McKinsey, they get hired by the Obama foundation to try and like solve democracy and I've got some stuff highlighted here. It's, uh, were the business elites chipping in or were they taking over the work of changing the world? Uh, whoever treats the disease recasts it with their own diagnosis, prescription, and prognosis. 
They were supposed to make democracy more vital and effective for ordinary people, preferably without challenging their fellow winners too much. Like the cult of the winner is a big thing in here. Like anyone who's not like wealthy is just seen as like a loser. They were to grow the public's trust in institutions without digging too far into why the people leading those institutions were mistrusted. So uh, it's something I've been thinking a lot about recently because like, you know, Elon Musk is moving into my area and people keep posting at, uh, at him and are like, can't wait to get run over by your Tesla, sir. And got to keep those boots shiny. I was, I was helping like local organizers come up with stuff for like why Musk's donations to like the city and the local K-12 education were bad because then you just buy influence and it's also not sustainable. So you just do like a very quick restructuring of everything in the school board. And then that's all the money's gone. Like the money can only be used in these very like stupid ways, not to build like infrastructure or something useful. So I feel like pres- I was trying to get to like, what is it that presidential libraries do and will do in the future? Like what, what is their purpose of, of being created? And I think Truman kind of like exemplifies it because he just wants everyone to think that he's a really cool dude. Seems to be like his life's work. Yeah, I mean, like he was just kind of a weird, like he got to where he was essentially by just being kind of a likable guy anyway. So that was just kind of a shtick. So it's kind of in line with his personality. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he's just like, yeah, I'll, I'll do this. Oddly enough, like, Nara's planning a presidential library for Trump in Florida, so there has been no interference on uh, his own parts as of yet. Do you know anything about, like, what's going on there? I have no idea. I did not really prepare that part, but I just thought it was interesting that it said on the, you know, presidential libraries wiki that you know, there's going to be a Donald J. Trump presidential library. You know, NARA launched a website on January 20, 2021. There aren't any plans yet, but NARA is going to be managing the records. So, yeah. Well, like we said with, with Obama, they kind of have to keep some of this stuff. Yeah, and exactly. it's funny that it's it's got to be in Florida because no one in New York likes him. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah. Where's he going to put it? Yeah. I feel like there's a way that something really interesting could come out of it, like with like context and curation and framing, but that's probably not what's going to happen. Um, like, I feel like with all these, like there's like an opportunity here, but I don't know. Cause I've never been to one. I don't know if it's just like, Oh, here's some stuff about the, this president and like boring documents or. <laughs> the museum parts are very like, they vary depending on the mm-hmm. president. Like the Lincoln one is like Disney Lincoln. I mean, like, there is a holographic theater, but it is managed by the state of Illinois. But it's like a major tourism situation for them. Um, and they have invested in it as such. And it is a wild experience. Um, so, like, the Lincoln Museum is definitely, like, that's an experience. The library side is definitely, like, a research center. And that's how a lot of them are. So there's, like, a, like, there's like a museum museum where, like, you go do the presidential thing. The Truman one is more of like a school field trip kind of place um, is how I would describe it. But it's also kind of like a fun, weird place to go with your friends sometimes. Like, I always like to go there like with my adult friends and be like, hey, 
let's go learn about Harry Truman. Because you can kind of take in as much of it or as, like, little of it as you want. And there's, like, kind of some cool shit that you can do in there, too. Like, you can make your own campaign buttons. And, like, they used to have, like, dress up as Harry and Bess stations. That's cute. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh, yeah. Like, because he was, like, kind of a stylish guy. And, like, you could, like, listen to audio and things like that, where you would, like, listen to him, like, talk about different, like, global figures, and he would talk about Stalin and be like, that's a stubborn son of a bitch, like, and, like, you would hear him, like, talk about different, like, all these, like, fucking dictators on live audio, <laughs> or, like, or, or listen to him, like, tell stories about, like, being in World War One, or, like, you would, like, just, like, pick up these little audio phones and, like, hear live audio of things. And they were actually, like, very fair about him because, like, you would go through sections because, like, towards the end of his presidency, he had a very low approval rating (laughs) because of Korea and everything. And it's just like, oh, no, everyone hated him by the end of his presidency. Yeah, so, like, that's interesting. Yeah, because it's like, oh, yeah, he integrated the military and, like, you know, he got a lot of flack for that. And then, you know, he, like, with Korea and how everything went with that, like, cause that got really nasty. Um, it didn't go well. That was like, you know, especially after world war two with the victory and you know, how oh, we just like with bamboo, you know, we didn't even need to drop a bomb, but we did anyway. Thanks white house decision center. Um, because of that, like, you know, all the nuclear development and stuff like that. It was like, you learn about all this stuff and like he was not well liked at the end of his presidency and they like very clearly communicate that throughout the museum they're like oh yeah like things didn't go well for him towards the end of his presidency and like he really just like hated being in washington he just like just like hanging out on his house i like that it's not just like a straight up just like propaganda machine yeah it's then, not entirely like yeah, if you're an adult I'm sure it's some of that yeah oh yeah if you're a kid it is if you're an adult it's there's more to it kind of a thing it was really interesting to do it as an adult after having seen it as a kid so oh, yeah i bet yeah because i've gone there like four or five times in my life yeah i feel like there's a lot of value in that actually there's also a really beautiful thomas hart benton mural there oh there you go yeah when i was a kid we went on a field trip to taco bell got to see the walk-in freezer got to make churros whipped our, our student council took Called a field trip to the lincoln whatever but we our bus was running late and we were also going to a little theme park outside of springfield and so we never actually went inside we just drove around the lincoln stuff and then went to the little like go-kart theme park <laughs> so that's my experience with anything abraham lincoln was just driving past it waving and then going go-karting <laughs> oh i had like one of the best <laughs> I had one of the best presidential, I had one of the best historic tours ever at the Lincoln Historic District, like, especially yeah. specifically at the Lincoln House. Yeah, yeah. Our, my tu- Shout out to my tour guide, Kyle, who was great. Shout out to Kyle. Shout out to Kyle. <laughs> and then we had this, like, couple in front of us who was just, like, giving each other shit back and forth, like, very playfully. Like, That's cute. <laughs> and like they were adorable and they were so much fun. And it was like me and my brother and his friend Sean, like Sean Murphy from Boston, um, who loves Abraham Lincoln. Shout out Sean Murphy from Boston. Yeah. And so like we all went and did Lincoln shit all day long. And it was just like we had the best time. Like the best time you could have in Springfield, Illinois in the middle of summer. 
Lincoln's one of our gay presidents, fun fact. Oh, definitely. Van Buren, duh. Mm-hmm. Very gay. Very gay. Yeah. Fillmore. Was, was it Buchanan who was the one yes. who like, oh, never ben, got yeah, married? Buchanan's the really, really gay one. Yeah. yeah. And JFK had like a gay best friend and they would sleep in the same bed a lot, but I don't think JFK like reciprocated. I think it's, it's not gay if I'm on top. <laughs> Nothing bad ever happens to the Kennedys. <laughs> Why do you think his back was always blown out? <laughs> the Kennedy, I'm not accustomed to tragedy. <laughs> that was a really good impersonation, Justin. <laughs> told you I wanted to be a voice actor when I was a kid. But I told my mom I wanted to be a thespian and she said that was a sin. <laughs> That's only half a joke. <laughs> I think that same oh, joke Christ. is made in, in the animated masterpiece Rango. Oh, that is a good movie. It's a good ass movie, right? <laughs> it's a really I was good pleasantly movie. surprised. It's My good. Aunt B told me to watch that movie. I saw it in theaters. R.I.P. Aunt B. R.I.P. Aunt B. I need a solemn ham horn. Well, no, that's just taps. Oh, yeah. That's exactly the kind of joke she would have loved. Good. I'm, I'm glad. <laughs> you know, this was originally a funeral march. Yep. Um, it was a, um, no, it was I a know. gladiator march, actually. Uh, oh, <laughs> oh am I well actually in a joke? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Jokes are funnier hey, if you explain them. Hey, Jay. Yeah. Are you thirsty? Should you get a drink from a well? Well, actually. <laughs> Yeah. What's your favorite presidential library, Carrie? Is it the Truman one, or have you been to other ones that you like more? Yeah, let's see here. For whatever reason. Mm. Or ones that you really want to go to, or, yeah. Yeah, I actually really do want to go to the Nixon Library. My brother's been, and he said it was really good. Yeah? Yeah, I really want to go to the Nixon Library. Does it have, like, espionage shit in it? No, I'm just obsessed with Richard Nixon. I mean, that's valid. (laughs) What's your favorite, like, actor with a bad prosthetic nose version of Nixon? Oh, yeah, I gotta go with, was it Mac? Was it, um, the guy who played him in Frost Nixon? Langella? Frank Langella? I think so. Yeah, that name sounds familiar, because I haven't seen that, but I think Lindsay Ellis has a video on, like, depictions of presidents, or I think Nixon in, in movies, so... I, I quite like in Point Break. Oh, yeah. And that's yep. not a real Frank, one, but... Yep. It was Frank Langella. I was correct. Woohoo! Can't believe I pulled that one out. Yeah, not a real representation adaptation, but just like the dead presidents in Point oh, Break. Yeah. You know, yeah. I I've thought that was a Point fun Break. Masterpiece. If you like the first Fast and the Furious movie... Never seen it. Point Break's the same thing, but with surfing. Never <laughs> seen either of those movies. Yeah. Point Break, Catherine Bigelow. I'm good. familiar with her filmography. Mm-hmm. Keanu mm-hmm. Reeves, P. Swayze. Yeah, the Swayze. The Swayze. Lori Petty is a heterosexual love, yeah. woman in it. <laughs> I mean, she was ostensibly hetero. Well, no, she was not even passably hetero in a league of their own, was she? No, and like Tank Girl, it's like kangaroos. So yeah. I don't know what how that counts. <laughs> yeah. How'd they, how'd she pull that one off? I don't know. I pulled up the Wikipedia for the Donald J. Trump presidential library. Cause I just Googled it and there is like a 
like a donaldjtrumplibrary.com.gov. Is there a Cheesecake Factory attached? I don't know. Oh, there well, no, be. it's just online because it's just the part that's run by NARA. And uh, I just love this in the Wikipedia. So the NARA is... NARA Library is established by Presidential Records Act, independent of possible plans for physical building under the Presidential Libraries Act. So two separate acts. All current content has been previously available to the public, including websites such as Melania Trump's Be Best, photographs, and social media accounts, uh, including POTUS and FLOTUS. Though Trump's personal, permanently suspended Twitter account, at Real Donald Trump, is not immediately available. Which is the only thing you would go there to see. Like, that's an interesting thing about digital curation is, like, the fact that, like, tweets, especially because that Twitter handle is transferred, right? So that's an interesting, like, the way those tweets are archived. I would, like, love to read about how, like, when do they start archiving? How do they do it? What happens if a tweet gets deleted? It started with Obama, and there was... Yeah. And... It's like the because like Twitter is just like an arm of the CIA at this point. I mean, yeah. so they just like transfer everything over for the presidents whenever the transfer power happens. It's like it's like a quasi governmental thing, even though there's like no law about it. But it's just like you have to give up the POTUS account. So I've just I've read a little bit more in the Wikipedia, and it's like people are worried about like him building a propaganda center. I'm like, I'm not. I think it'll be. Completely underwhelming. I think he just has no interest in it. No, yeah, he has, like, yeah, like, it's very clear that it is not on his radar at all. Like, like, basically, someone was just like, he's in Florida, <laughs> and that's where they took the shit, like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, I, I thought maybe that the, the Wikipedia for the presidential libraries was out of date, that's why I Googled it. And it's like, no, nah, there's just no plans still, yeah. like. Yeah. So you mentioned that, like, just his personal account, that that's not accessible. Were those tweets archived at all, either in general? Because I know Library of Congress archives tweets as well. Yeah, I'm sure it, it must be on Library of Congress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I don't know if there's another entity that archives tweets. There are. Especially for public but- fi- figures. Yeah, this is the thing about digital archiving is, uh, like we talked about with Mitchell Zimmel, when it comes to social media, there's like no one doing it. It's no one's real official job. Officially, you know, take all these Twitch streams or take Twitter or take, you know, 4chan. Like it, because if it's not a government thing, it's kind of hard to convince libraries to do it. So then you get the Internet Archive just being like, yeah, we'll do it. We'll. But the Wayback Machine kind of just like runs on its own now and kind of just generates profit by selling instances of Archive it. And you can also um, request that things be taken out of the Wayback Machine, like, and just not have URLs be accessible through it. I know that the original, like, Masters of the Universe, like Fifty Shades of Grey fan fictions, um, have E.L. James had all of those removed from the Internet Archive. I don't know who did it, but the original um, I identify as a, an attack helicopter science fiction short story um, has been removed from the Wayback machine i think that's probably censorship and weeding and people should get mad at the internet archive for doing that um i i know she <laughs> was the one who requested that oh oh you're making another joke <laughs> it's jay's Sorry. turn not to get the jokes no yeah well because like she was the one who requested the story be taken down in the first place from the website so i'm wondering if it was her or the magazine on behalf of her who requested that from the internet archive but that 
does put an interesting thing, because if the Internet Archive is a library, legally it can just archive whatever it wants, because it has yeah. like broad exceptions. It doesn't have to comply with takedown notices unless it wants to. So I actually, I wonder what their policy is. Yeah, I wrote up a, so I'm taking like a, the digital curation certificate series of Library Juice Academy courses right now. And in one of them, I had to do like a little write up of like a digital curation story in the news. And so I wrote about the Isabel Fall story. Um, and that's how I learned that like things could be taken out from the Internet Archive, like the Wayback Machine in, in general, because I was surprised that I couldn't just go to there and put in the original URL and find a captured version of it but that also brings up that like in a lot of articles about other things screenshots of tweets are often put in there or like embedded instagram posts but so sometimes those screenshots of the tweet are the only existing record of the tweet that exists anymore unless like you have access to the library of congress i don't know if they unilaterally archive tweets or only specific accounts i've never been sure on that I think they tried to do the whole website. That's what I thought too. But I also think they're they're having trouble justifying it last time I read about it. It was something like, yeah, we're doing it, but we're not like, we don't have a good plan for how to like scale this forever. Yeah. But yeah, so that was like a, you know, to bring it back to presidential libraries, presidents interacting with, a, you know, the country via social media, even if it's not in the deranged way that, Trump did it like that's a whole nother level of curation and policy that has to happen so I'm just curious as to how that will be presented in the libraries like Facebook posts or yeah so there's actually I don't know if that's covered I don't know if you looked at the Presidential Archiving Act of 2008 but that covers um, I have it framed in my wall, but yeah, I haven't looked at it in a while. Gotta have it memorized, man. There's a quiz that covers um, some of the digital. So it prioritizes digital archiving in some ways. Like so, basically, it like gives a lot more priority to digital archiving and things like that. And I think that includes. Oh, I don't know if that would include Twitter or not. Because I think that's too early. Yeah, I also wonder if retroactively that can be used to include things like memes. Because, like, you know, Obama even did the the thanks Obama little short video. He did the whole thing with Keegan-Michael Key as, like, his, like, anger translator. Yeah, yeah. There's all of the QAnon, like, right-wing memory about Trump. People turn that video of Kamala, like, calling joe being like we did it joe like into a meme so i'm wondering if like beyond just what the presidents themselves produce if there's any sort of effort to archive the social stuff around their presidency i think you get that'd be interesting yeah that's a big bandwidth issue it is yeah (laughs) i think you could have open up like a donation policy essentially which is what i think presidential libraries did in the past which is having donation policies where people could you know essentially digitally donate things like memes and stuff oh that's cool i i don't do things like that but that's potentially an avenue for digital archiving is you know meme donations because it is people's intellectual property so they could work with the know your meme website yeah i don't know i don't know i don't know 
presidential know your meme. Yeah. Somebody should do that. Yeah, because like it's seriously, I mean, even Tumblr was like, you know, how do you know someone else is from Tumblr? You say, hey, I like your shoot laces. And they respond, thanks, I got them from the president. And that's when Obama was still president. And then there was a little gif of Obama going, it is law in the post. And that's, you know, oh, early OG Tumblr post. You're giving me war flashbacks, Jay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, like, it's, a, it's such a a, an integral part of like internet culture i think that i hadn't realized until now of like memory involving presidents yeah those are probably all done by individual researchers no that's a whole different thing of re- researchers keeping their own digital archives and like what do they do with them because there's no good answer to it there's like not really good software for preserving stuff and even if you go through all the trouble of like cataloging all of it or describing all of it in a database. Like it's really only useful to you as one historian. There, there was something that American Historical Association tried to do when I was in graduate school, which was like getting PhD graduate students to like crowd share their digitizations of stuff. Oh yeah. With each I remember other. that. Yeah. And it didn't work because obviously it wouldn't work. Because the main thing I see is like places that you can like upload your like research data to, but most of the time to people that means data sets. And I'm like, but no, like images and stuff can also be research data. Exactly. So I don't know. Yeah. So I don't know why the data as numbers, as like a data set of statistical analysis or. Well, because even like in, in scientific research, you can have images and that's also a research data. So I don't mm-hmm. know. Now we're just getting into like groaning about digital curation practices. <laughs> yeah. Anything can be a data set. Anything can be a data collection. Most of the stuff you see in like Figshare and stuff like that is mediated by librarians. Though, so it's it's actually like usable most of the time. And you've got to go through like DMP practices, digital management project uh, policies. Yeah. Like I just did a little write up of Dryad for an LJA assignment and they have like curators who go in and review your data before it's like to make sure it's like usable and they give you a DOI and all that stuff. To be honest, Carrie, I'm like, was kind of surprised you were so into this. It was just like not something I expected of like, yeah, Carrie's really into presidential history and presidential libraries. Yeah, I found that kind of surprising too. Yeah, I like I'm it. A, Truman. I'm a straight up historicist though. Like that's that makes you got to know all this stuff, especially like 20th century presidential history. I'm really into it. I, like, and I would really into it. And I would love to hear your thoughts on like the because you said they were like in their houses or other things sometimes, but like the relationship between the library and the architecture of it. Yeah. So like, yeah, the Truman Library is actually really cool architecturally, which yeah. is another reason why I really like it too. Yeah. I once got to hang out in a park with a hawk across the street from the Truman Library while I was reading a book. I was eating lunch and reading a book, and I was hanging out in the park across the street from the Truman Library and a hawk. That sounds transcendental. Eating a squirrel about six feet away from me, just nipping away at it. Transcendentally eating a squirrel. Yeah. And like this family came over and asked me if it was my pet. And I was like, no. (laughs) I was like, no, it's just, you know. He's free range. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, I was like, no, I didn't know I gave off falconry vibes, apparently. If you really um, love him, you'll let him go, and he will always come back to you. <laughs> I mean, like, why are you assuming this gender? Maybe it's like a woman hunting squirrel for her babies. Or for her own damn self. Maybe she's an independent provider. Girl boss hawk. <laughs> Maybe she's a girl boss hawk. Um, just like me. Yes. Um, <laughs> I want that on a t-shirt now, girl boss hawk. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, I like had this amazing experience, like becoming one with nature, watching a hawk eat a squirrel while I ate a peanut butter sandwich. Truly the circle of life. Across the street from the Truman Library one time. Oh, Arthur is just lost in the sauce on my couch right now. What did you feed him? Just his regular sensitive boy food. Oh, sensy boy. He's just being a seepy kitty. You know, the names of the U.S. residents who then became the presidents and got a view from the White House Lou of Pennsylvania Avenue. George Washington was the first you see. He once chopped down a cherry tree. President number two would be John Adams and then number three. Tom Jefferson stayed up to write a declaration late at night. So he and his wife had a great big fight and she made him sleep on the couch all night. James Madison never had a son, and he fought the War of 1812. James Monroe's colossal nose was bigger than Pinocchio's. John Quincy Adams was number six, and it's Andrew Jackson's, but he kicks. So Jackson learns to play politics next time. He's the one that the country picks. Martin Van Buren, number eight, for a one-term shot as chief of state. William Harrison, how do you praise that guy was dead in 30 days? John Tyler, he liked country folk. And after him came President Polk. Zachary Taylor liked to smoke. His breath killed friends whenever he spoke. 1850, really nifty, Miller Fillmore's in. Young and fierce was Franklin Pierce, the man without a chin. Follows next up, period spanning. Four long years with James Buchanan. Then the South starts shooting cannon. And we got a civil war. A war, a war down south of Dixie. Up to bat comes old Abe Lincoln. There's a guy who's really thinking. Kept the United States from shrinking. Saved the ship of state from sinking. Andrew Johnson's next. He had some slight defects. Congress each would impeach. And so the country now elects. Ulysses Simpson Grant, who would scream and rave and rant. While drinking whiskey, oh, the risky, cause he's failing on his pants. It's 1877 and the Democrats would gloat. But they're all amazed when Rutherford Hayes wins by just one vote. James Garfield, someone really hated cause he was assassinated. Chester Arthur gets instated, four years later he was traded. For Grover Cleveland, really fat, elected twice as a Democrat. Then Benjamin Harrison, after that, it's William McKinley up the back. Teddy Roosevelt charged up San Juan Hill. And President Taft, he got the bill. In 1913, Woodrow Wilson takes us into World War I. Warren Harding next in line. It's Calvin Coolidge, he does fine. And then in 1929, the market crashes and we fight. It's Herbert Hoover's big debut, he gets the blame and loses too. Franklin Roosevelt, president who helped us win in World War II. 
Harry Truman, weird little human, serves two terms and when he's done. It's Eisenhower who's got the power from 53 to 61. John Kennedy had Camelot, then Lyndon Johnson took his spot. Richard Nixon, he gets caught, and Gerald Ford fell down a lot. <laughs> Jimmy Carter liked camping trips. And Ronald Reagan's speeches scripts all came from famous movie clips. And President Bush said, read my lips. Now in Washington, D.C. There's Democrats in the GOP. But the ones in charge are plain to see. The Clintons, Bill and Hillary. The next president to lead the way. Well, it just might be yourself one day. Then the press will distort everything you say. So jump in your plane and fly away. I forgot how much Animaniacs didn't fuck around. Oh, uh, no. They never did. Fingerprints. Yeah. I don't think so. <laughs> I didn't know if you'd ever heard that before because you were, you were going on a face journey. I don't think I've ever heard that all the way through. Oh, I definitely have. Anyway, good night. <laughs>